Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray. Father, thank you for an incredible time of worship, Lord, through song. Pray, Lord, that we would just continue in this um, process of worship and, and really just thinking about you and who you are and just a sense of awe of your power in our lives. I pray we would continue that into our time of study of your word, Lord. I pray you just remind us of the significance of what we do, remembering all those that have come before us who've studied this truth, Lord, for thousands of years now. This has been passed down, and yet it still contains absolute truth still speaks to us today, right now, in this very moment, Lord, we'll learn this morning truth that we can apply to your lives. And so you give us the ability to understand the power to uh, apply it to our lives. And Lord, I pray that we are transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Very quickly before I jump into Genesis 39, as you're finding it, next Sunday morning is Easter. We will not meet here, just to be clear. We'll have two services, 8.30 and 10.30, both at the Troop High School Auditorium. So if you're planning on attending Easter Sunday with us, which we hope you are, 8.30 in the morning or 10.30 in the morning, bring friends. We have space there. That's why we do it. We don't have to do three services. We can do two, and they'll be filled up. So uh, I want to encourage you to get there early and find a seat next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. And then also we're going to commission at the end of this service missionaries to different parts of the world. We'll talk about that. But over spring break here in town, we're going to do Camp Viola, a Calumet camp. So if you help out at Camp Viola or you help out at Calumet and are interested this Wednesday night at 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall, Pam Murphy's going to be talking about that. So you can see her for more details. Genesis 39, we're continuing our study this morning through the book of Genesis and understanding all the Lord has called us to do, all he's called us to be, just seeing incredible story after incredible story. And so we started last week, kind of the last quarter of the book of Genesis, studying Joseph. Joseph is going to kind of dominate the scene now for the last many chapters of the book of Genesis. And we started last week learning about Joseph and, and what we kind of understood in the text in Genesis 37 is that Joseph was a young man who was loved by his father, hated by his brothers. He was the youngest, he kind of tattled on them, they didn't like him and, and he began to have these dreams. And in the dreams he began to explain to his brothers and, and to his parents that he was one day going to rule over them and so that hatred that they had for him kind of compounded and it grew and they became more and more angry and it kind of came to a boiling point where they decided they wanted to kill this young brother and so they kind of discussed it thought about it cooler heads prevailed and they decided instead of killing him let's throw him in this pit and let's sell him into slavery and we left off in Genesis chapter 37 understanding a young man that God had given big dreams to a young man that God was going to use in, in incredible ways because what we understand is not only are these dreams going to come true, but God's going to use Joseph in ways that we could never really even fathom. Joseph didn't have any clue what was going to happen. 
And so the last time we studied at the end of chapter 37, Joseph had been sold to slave traders on his way down to Egypt, ungodly Egypt, far from all the things that he knew, far from his home. He had literally been stripped of everything that was dear to him, and he's in a terrible place. We leave off there in chapter 37. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that I've done on a few other occasions. I'm going to summarize chapter 38. One of the things I'm learning as I study through Genesis and spend a lot of time in the Scripture and reading it every week is there are some very difficult passages of Scripture. It's interesting to me the conversations I have with people because some of you are reading ahead and you'll come to me and you'll say, look, I'm I'm reading a couple chapters ahead because I want to kind of stay, you know, understanding and a a few steps ahead of you where you're going. And I'm always curious how you're going to kind of handle certain texts. Well, I'm not going to handle the text of chapter 37. There's a lot of incredible things to learn there, but there's a lot of, um, frankly, R-rated stuff. And I just don't feel comfortable with kids, and so you can read it yourself. I want to tell you basically what I think we ought to understand from it, and then we're going to move on to 39. 38 is all about Judah, which is one of the sons, 12 tribes of Israel. It's all about his sin, and this is interesting now, and I'm not going to go into detail, really all about sexual sin, and you can kind of read it on your own. But it's this, this, this fascinating contrast in Genesis 38 of the sexual sin and mistakes of this one man contrasted and compared to chapter 39, Joseph, who's going to handle those sorts of situations in a totally different light. It's very interesting. And so we have kind of these two competing worldviews here in chapter 38 and then what we're going to see in chapter 39. 38 is the kind of me mentality. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to be happy. I want to find pleasure at all costs. This is how I'm going to live my life. That's what Judah decided in Genesis 38. Compared to the life of Joseph, who decides to stay true to the Lord, to trust the Lord, to walk down the path of righteousness, and the Lord's going to bless him. I think it's just fascinating that here we are thousands and thousands of years later, thousands of years after this story has been written, and those still past still, still exist, don't they? We still have those options. You can still choose to wreck your life down this way, or you can choose to trust the Lord and follow him down this path. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, Genesis 39. Joseph, a man who's going to choose to follow the Lord, and let's see what the Lord does in his life. Genesis 39, beginning of verse 1. We have the scripture on the screen for you as well. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, which we saw at the end of chapter 37. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there, right? So he's en route. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now if you're taking notes or you're underlining things in your scripture, you ought to underline the first part of verse 2 because it's foundational to everything else we're going to learn about Joseph. We'll circle back to that in just a minute. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the eye, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now we're going to finish that verse up here in just a minute. But I want to give you kind of a truth that I think is really foundational to all that Joseph goes through. But it's the truth that still applies to our life today. Number one. 
When we seek the Lord's blessings, he walks with us through difficult situations. When we seek the Lord's blessings, he walks with us through difficult situations. Now, it's interesting to me, I always try to put myself kind of in the place of these people that I study. What would it have been like? What would it have been like to be Joseph? And so I think about all that Joseph had been through and what his brothers did to him. And they throw him in the pit. They, they sell him. Now he's down in slavery in Egypt. He's separated from everything that he knew. And I start thinking, what would it be like if I had been in that situation? And I start thinking about, if I'm honest, the, the types of emotions that I probably would have felt. I would, I would have felt anger. I would have felt bitterness. I would have felt resentment. I would have felt all sorts of different types of emotions because of all that had happened to me. And yet when I read this passage of scripture, when I read about Joseph, none of those what I would consider kind of normal emotions are present. There's no mention of his anger, no mention of his hatred, no mention of wanting to kind of get back at his brothers. Instead, we see kind of the opposite sort of a theme. I want you to think through with me just for a minute. Bring verse 2 back up if you would, please, Stephen. Instead of a theme of anger and bitterness and resentment, here's the theme we get, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, And that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant, right? You're beginning to see the theme. Look at verse 5. Bring it up for me. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed him. The household of the Egyptian because of Joseph and the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. There's there's this reoccurring theme in chapter 38, excuse me, chapter 39 and the chapters that follow. This reoccurring theme that's kind of foundational and very simple. The Lord blessed Joseph and because the Lord blessed Joseph, Joseph prospered. Now let's be clear about this. What we're not saying is that Joseph prospered because of his own strength, although he was strong, I'm sure. We're not saying that Joseph prospered because of his own ability, although I'm sure he was very intelligent. We're not saying Joseph prospered because of his administrative skills, although I'm sure those were fantastic. Very simply, the the Bible is clear. Joseph prospered because the Lord was part of his life. That was foundational for him. And, And I'm left asking myself the question, what sort of a foundation am I building in my life? Am I trying to build my life based on my abilities and my skill set and my intelligence and kind of on and on the list of attributes goes? Am I building my life on those things? Or am I building my life on the foundation of the Lord? Because that's exactly what Joseph does. Now, it's interesting to me how Joseph kind of has this, this rise. In other words, he's going to kind of start here at the bottom. And I, I used an analogy in 930 for the men in the service. Guys, I'm going to speak to you just for a second. It's going to help you. You ready? You're supposed to nod your head would be some, yeah, I'm ready, okay. We're in the middle of March Madness now, right, basketball? And I like basketball, I like March Madness, but praise the Lord, football's around the corner, right, men, football, right? College football, I love college, I just love college football. There's always next year, right? (laughs) You can always hope for next year. Well, the college football analogy, Joseph is kind of the preseason team that nobody thinks they're gonna, they're not gonna do anything, they're not gonna win many games, they're not very good. They're real young, not a lot of talent. They're not going to do a whole lot, right? So they're preseason. They're, they're, they've been picked to do nothing. Nobody's even mentioning them in any sort of a discussion about the elite teams in the country. 
And as the season progresses, they win a couple of games and another couple of games. They don't win a, a big game on the road and they break the top 25, right? They're, they're kind of, if you track their progress, they're kind of inching up. Then later in the season, they, be, they beat their arch rival and they make it in the top 10. And by the end of the season, they've won their championship game and they're playing for the national championship, right? This is what Joseph has done. In the beginning, nobody thought anything. We didn't think he'd accomplish anything. We didn't think he was going to do anything. Based on his circumstances in his life, you would think he's going to be an absolute failure. But if you follow the story, because the Lord is working in the life of Joseph, God is going to continue to allow him to elevate and rise and do incredible things. Now, here's what, here's what some of you are thinking, and I think some of you are thinking this because this is what I thought as I was reading this this week. I thought, I sure would like to be blessed like that. That, that no matter what I do, it's going to be successful, right? See, everything that Joseph did prosper. Not because of Joseph, because of the Lord. The Lord blessed him. And I thought, you know, I, I would love in my life, and I'm sure you would too, to say that we've been blessed in such a way that everything that we do prospers. And so the next question becomes, how can I be blessed like that? Well, I wanted to kind of pause for a second and think through that biblically because I think it's a fair question to ask. There are a couple things we need to understand along those lines. The first one, very clearly, is if you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the the Bible teaches us that Christ is always with you. So, for example, Matthew chapter 28 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, the great commandment, we know it, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, here's how Christ ends his earthly ministry in, Genesis, in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You understand that? We, we can say with absolute certainty that the Bible teaches us that as believers, Christ always goes with us. Now, that's important for a couple of reasons. It's important kind of geographically. It's interesting to consider this idea. That means if I'm in LaGrange, Georgia, or I'm in Atlanta, or I'm somewhere overseas, regardless of where I go physically, Christ is going to be with me because I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus is going to walk with me. We see the same thing with Joseph. God walked with him. God was with him wherever he went. But the second thing we understand is not only is he with us physically, but he walks through with us on our spiritual journey. So whether we're kind of in a good place or a bad place, an easy place or a hard place, if circumstances are are good for us right now or circumstances are bad for us right now, the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is with us. That's what he tells us. That's a promise that the Lord has given to us. And I wonder how many of us sometimes when we struggle through certain things in life, we find ourselves in areas that are uncertain or areas that bring us fear. How often we wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if the Lord really even knows what's going on with me here. I wonder if the Lord can do anything about this. I wonder if the Lord's even interested in this situation. We need to say with absolute certainty that the Bible teaches us not only is he aware, not only does he know, he's right there with you. He's walking with you through these times. That's a promise we need to hold on to. Far too many of us forget that. So we understand that the Lord is always with us. But what about his blessing, you say? Okay, so the Lord's walking with me. I'm a Christian. Matthew 28 teaches me Christ is going to walk with me, fine. What about the blessings of life that I can receive? What, what, what about the blessing that Joseph received? When you begin to study this word blessing or bless us or begin to look at passages of Scripture that talk about this through the Bible, you begin to kind of see this pattern. 
And the pattern you see is that over and over and over in Scripture, we're commanded to pray that the Lord would bless us. So, Lord, I'm going to pray that you would bless me. I'm going to pray that your favor would shine upon me. So we see examples like Psalm chapter 67, verse 1. This is the prayer of the psalmist. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. One scholar explained it like this. These are his words. While we all would quickly say that we want God's blessing, it's not automatic. We must diligently seek it. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is ready to pour out his blessings on his people, but only when we order our lives rightly before him and seek God himself as the supreme being. See, here's what that means. If we don't seek the Lord and trust the Lord, he's not going to bless us. You can't choose just to live your life any way you want to live it and expect the Lord to bless that. You, you can't just make these decisions outside of the will of the Lord, outside of the teaching of Scripture, outside of prayer. You can't just make these decisions and then kind of get to this place in life and say, Lord, I expect you at this point now to bless what I've done. That's not how it works. Too many of us, myself included, have done this in our life. We've kind of made the decisions we want to make and we get to the point that we want to be in and then we ask the Lord to bless that. God says, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you, but you've got to trust me in this process. And there's this kind of sort of tension here. If we want to be blessed by the Lord, we've got to live our life for him. And then when we live our life for him, we're going to be blessed by the Lord. <laughs> One writer explained it like this. Our faithfulness is met with God's blessings. Some of you say, yeah, I get that. I know. I mean, God, I understand this biblically, Adam. God is with me. I know that. And I've been praying for blessings, you may say. I've been praying the Lord to speak to me. I've been praying for this specific situation. I've been, I've been kind of walking down this path of trusting the Lord and seeking the Lord. But it's, it's not quite turning out the way I want it to turn out. We need to understand something very clearly about the blessings of the Lord. Just because things don't turn out the way we think they ought to doesn't mean the Lord's not blessing us. You understand that? Just because we don't have the things that we think we ought to have or get the things that we want doesn't mean the Lord's not right there with us. Here, here's the takeaway from this. Regardless of the situation that we walk through, if we'll trust the Lord, he'll sustain us through that difficult time. It may not be easy. You may not receive all the things you want to receive. It may not turn out like you want it. But if we'll trust the Lord and walk with him, he'll give us the strength to walk through the very difficult situations of life. That's exactly what we see with Joseph. See, with the Lord's blessing in our lives, he'll walk with us through very difficult situations. Now, let's continue, verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. 
My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 10. And though, he spoke to, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So one day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, ran out of the house. When she saw that he left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. So Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, let's stop there just for a second. We're thinking about the blessings of the Lord. We're thinking about walking with the Lord. And so here's the second truth we see. When we seek the Lord's blessings, we can live a life of integrity. When we seek the Lord's blessings, we can live a life of integrity. Of integrity. And this is an interesting passage of scripture to me because we see this man, Joseph, who has found himself in a place of great sexual temptation. Not only has he found himself in this place of temptation, but he's found himself isolated from his family, hated by his brothers, enslaved. He's probably at a very low point on his life. But instead of giving in to this temptation as we may expect him to do in this context, he instead demonstrates to us kind of uncommon integrity. How does a man in his difficulty... In these difficult circumstances, how do a man, how does a man that's been through all he's been through and struggled with all he's struggled through, how does a man maintain his integrity when this woman continues to come to him time and time and time and time again? And I thought, you know what, let's just camp here for just a few minutes. Because this is kind of the elephant in the room, isn't it? I mean, this sort of a sin, sexual temptation, you kind of fill in the blank of what that might look like, seems to be the curse of our society today, doesn't it? I mean, it seems time and time again we hear the stories of people that have struggled with this or struggling with it or have given in to it or it's wrecked their family. You, you know the stories. I know the stories as well. And so I thought, you know, let, let's just spend a few minutes kind of just thinking through what, what Joseph did here. Because Joseph in my mind, through the power of the Lord, has a a very interesting strategy. And I just want to walk through it with you for a few minutes. I I want you to notice very clearly what Joseph does in this moment. This isn't a theory for him. This isn't in a Sunday school class for him. This isn't just some book he's reading. He's in this moment. I want to show you three things that he does to maintain his integrity. The first thing he does, very simply, he just says no. Look at verse 8. Pull that back up for me if you would, please, Stephen. So she comes to him, verse 8, and he what? He refused. Just say no. That sounds very simple, doesn't it? 
Sounds like a simple way to begin, but I want you to notice what Joseph doesn't do. He doesn't kind of think about it for a few minutes. He doesn't ponder it. He doesn't have a discussion with her. What do you mean? I'm not quite sure. Let's talk a little bit about it. You know, Potiphar's not home. Nobody's ever going to find out. None none of this kind of stuff happens. He simply refuses. I'm not going to do this with you. Now, for us, let's, let's translate that to our lives. Maybe that means we say no to thoughts, men, if we're being honest with ourselves. Maybe it means we say no to certain actions in our lives. Maybe it means we say no to certain relationships if boundaries are being crossed. But I believe with absolute certainty that, that lust, if we kind of understand the process, has to be conquered at the thought level. You understand that? If it moves much beyond the thought level, it's going to turn into something else very quickly. And so we've got to be not only aware of the attacks that are facing us, but willing and able and ready to attack those and refuse those immediately. John Owen wrote years ago about sin. If you don't kill it, it's going to kill you. And we think about all that we struggle with in this world. We think about all the temptation that surrounds us. If we're not ready with a firm no, the first thought that arrives in our minds, we've started to lose that battle, man. Here's what one scholar says. One of the convenient things about the sin of lust is that if you're careful, nobody else knows that you do it. Just make sure you steal your wrongful glances when no one else is watching. Don't look at the magazine rack in a store where people you know might happen by. With those precautions, you can enjoy your sin and nobody else will suspect it. But that's like tolerating cracks in a dam. It's all beneath the surface where nobody sees it, but sooner or later the dam will burst and cause a lot of damage. Whenever a man falls into immorality, you can know for sure that he's been tolerating the cracks of mental lust for some time before. We need to be prepared simply to say no. Here's the second thing Joseph does. Joseph remembers all that's worth keeping in his life. Joseph remembers all that's worth keeping in his life. Bring up verse 8 again, please. The Bible says when he's asked by this woman again and again and again, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted to my care. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. So Joseph understands, listen, if I make this mistake and I walk down this path, I'm going to lose all of this stuff. You understand that? I think sometimes it's helpful for us men, women, as we kind of think through this sin and this struggle in our world. It's helpful for us sometimes to be honest about all we're going to lose if we keep walking down this path. I often think, you know, as we we talk with people that struggle with this, and there's all sorts of issues, and we can kind of fill in the blanks, and we know the stories, and, and many of us have struggled with it, frankly. If you could rewind the, the clock a couple years and show this person all they were going to lose down here if that would change the way they acted over the next two years. Because I can promise you one thing. You, you, can, you can talk to as many people as you want to. You're never going to find one person who says something like this. Yes, I struggled with this and I had this affair and I did this and you kind of whatever it looks like. You're never going to find one person who says that and then they say to you and everything ended up fine. 
we were happy and my kids were happy about it. My wife was happy and, and that guy's, that lady's husband was, everybody was happy. Nobody says that. Instead, what they, what they say to you is it was a train wreck. I destroyed my family. I lost everything. Maybe the Lord was gracious and I was able to get it back and we've worked some things out, but I, I wrecked it. I, I made this mistake. I allowed myself to walk down this path. Joseph, from the very beginning, saw that. Potiphar's give me all this stuff. He's put me in charge of all these things. If I make this mistake, I'm giving all of these things up. But now look what he says in verse 10. Bring that up for me. Excuse me, verse 9 right there. No, you're right. Bring it back. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? Right? Is that what he says? Now see, he recognizes that he's in that position for one very simple reason. God's put me here. I have all this stuff and all these blessings, not because of Potiphar, not because of me, not because of you. I have all these things because the Lord has blessed me. And if I make this decision and walk down this path, I'm going to lose everything and I'm going to sin against God. We need to be reminded of what we can lose when we make these decisions. Here's the third thing that Joseph does in the midst of this temptation. Number three, he runs. Very simply, he runs. No discussion, no wondering no thinking about it, no having a conversation. He gets out of there so fast, he literally leaves his cloak behind and he doesn't care because he's hightailing it out of there, so they say, right? I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get into these situations and instead of running, we linger. I just wonder how this story would be different if Joseph kind of just hung out for a little while and talked to her about it. My, my gut is we wouldn't have the rest of the book of Genesis. It would be a lot like Genesis 38, sin and mistakes and a ruined life and all the things that God wanted to do are now gone. But because Joseph is walking with the Lord, because Joseph chooses to flee and run and avoid that temptation, God blesses him. Now let's just be very practical for just a couple of minutes, okay? For you, maybe that means an internet filter. Maybe that means an accountability partner. Guys, maybe that means your wife has access to all of your devices. Give her all your passwords. Let her go through your history and all the things you you want her to go through. Let her see it. Be very honest with her. I think if we're not careful in, in this particular place, if we're not careful in this particular area, this can absolutely ruin us. But I love what 2 Timothy 2.22 says. Listen to these words. Flee the evil desires of youth. Right. So there's the sense we're going to run from the evil. And then the other side of that verse in 2 Timothy 2 is pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, right? Run from evil, flee from evil, say no to it. Instead, run to the things of the Lord and the purity and the faith and the love and the peace of the Lord. I wrote something down I want you to hear. I'm convinced of this, absolutely 100% convinced of this. And I said that, I'm convinced, (laughs) That the word of God is the antidote to the poisons of this world. The more we read and study the Bible, the more we are protected against the sin of the world. Man, if you're struggling with this, and this is a real struggle. Let's just be very, let's just lay it out and be honest. This is a struggle that a lot of men, most men, probably every man on some level deals with. If you're struggling with this, as you remove that from your life, 
fill it up with this. Period. Memorize large portions of scripture. I can't, man. You never tried. Have you ever tried? You ever tried to memorize a chapter in the Bible? No. Well, maybe you should try. You ever taken cards and written Bible verses and kept them in your pockets so when you stop at red light, you can work on your memorization? You ever taken a lunch break and instead of going and hanging out with some buddies, you take your Bible and study through and try to memorize scripture? You ever taken time at night away by yourself and, and read through it aloud time and time again so you can not only understand it, but you can make it a part of your life. You can hide it in your heart so you won't sin against God? Man, if you're looking for the silver bullet to, to, to rid your life of this mess, this is it, I'm telling you, this is it. It's an antidote to the poison. And yet far too many of us are going to fold this thing up today and we get home, we're going to put it on the shelf and next Sunday morning, whatever time we leave, it's coming back off. Joseph had the answer. It was seeking the Lord. Far too many of us missed that. Verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, gave him success in whatever he did. Truth number three, and I'm winding this down, number three. When we seek the Lord's blessings, the people around us are blessed. When we seek the Lord's blessings, the people around us are blessed. Right? Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. The people in the prison are going to be blessed because of Joseph. The warden is going to be blessed because of Joseph. The Leaders in Egypt are going to be blessed because of Joseph. Eventually, Potiphar, I'm excuse me, Pharaoh is going to be blessed because of Joseph. And in, in the, maybe the, the most twisted form of irony, the very brothers that sold him into slavery and wanted to murder him are going to be blessed in the end by their brother Joseph. It's, it's an incredible picture. This story is a, is a picture of redemption. But we begin to understand, man, as we seek the Lord and trust the Lord, guess what? The people around us are going to take notice. Men, you want to make an impact in your family, begin to seek the Lord because your wife's going to be blessed. Your coworkers are going to be blessed. Your buddies you hang out with are going to be blessed. You say, I sure would like to be blessed like that so I could just have a lot of good stuff and be happy in life. And No, 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 no. See, here, here's a truth of Scripture you need to understand. The reason the Lord blesses us very simply is so we can in turn bless others. Did you know that? I mean, the Bible tells us that time and time again. The, the story of, of Abraham, remember Genesis chapter 12? God says, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Watch this. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Every time I go overseas and I do mission work, I, I, I find myself at some point in the week asking myself this question. Lord, why did you allow me to be born in America instead of this place, just fill in the blank, a remote village in Guatemala. Because had I been born in a remote village in Guatemala, my life would be completely different. Completely different than it is now. And God always has to remind me as subtly as he can and sometimes with a two by four, whatever it takes, he says, I didn't put you in Guatemala, Adam. I put you in LaGrange, Georgia. And I gave you the resources necessary to accomplish incredible things through me. I read a little while ago, Psalm chapter 67. Here's how it begins. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. I read that a minute ago, but I didn't read the second verse because I wanted to save it to the end. Here's verse two, right? May God be gracious and bless us and make his face shine on us. You ready for the next two words? So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among the nations. God says, I'm going to bless you, Adam Camp in LaGrange, Georgia, for one very simple reason. I'm going to put you in this place for one simple reason. I'm going to give you the resources necessary for one simple reason. Everything I give to you and pour into you, I want you to give away to somebody else. Every time I bless you, you need to bless somebody else. Every time I share with you something, you need to share with somebody else. God says, I've blessed you, church, so you can in turn bless others. So here's the question we should be asking. How is my faith in the Lord, how is my walk with the Lord blessing other people? John Piper said this, speaking of a church that's obedient to him, to the Lord, he will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached people of the world. And by the way, that could be next door. And this blessing is not payment for a service rendered. It's power and joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward the unreached peoples, we're not earning God's blessing. We are leaping into the river of blessing that is already flowing to the nations. I love that. God says, if you'll just walk with me, if you'll just trust me, not only will I walk you through difficult situations, not only will I give you integrity, not only will I lead you, but everybody else around you will be blessed through me. It's a beautiful picture of who Christ is. It's a beautiful picture of what our walk ought to be. And it's a beautiful reminder that God has given us much and he expects much from us. So here's the question I'm going to finish with today. What are you going to let the Lord do through you? How are you going to allow your blessings to bless others? That is the question we absolutely have to answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. The truth of Scripture, Lord Joseph, is an incredible story, Father. It's a challenging, compelling, very interesting story of faithfulness, Lord, and honesty and and doing great things through your power. So I pray we just learn from it, Father. I pray we remember that we should pray for blessing. We should walk with you. We should trust you. We should flee the enemy, Lord. We should fill our lives with scripture, Lord. We should walk with you daily. And then when we do these things, Father, you just walk with us even through the difficulties. You give us integrity, Father. You bless other people around us. And I pray through those things that your name would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity and the invitation. Maybe you need to pray about your walk, about how the Lord's blessing you. Maybe you need to pray about purity. Maybe you need to pray about how the Lord's going to use you to bless other people. But this is your time to respond to the Lord as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.